Welcome to the Big Screen Symposium podcast. This session is from the Big Screen Symposium held in Auckland on the 9th and 10th of July 2022. Some film clips played at the live event have been edited out of the podcast. In this session, series creator Simon Nathan and director A.D. Walker discuss the process of making the binge-worthy Jewish comedy series Kid Sister, from conception through to post-production. They speak with journalist Alex Casey about the writing process, the wearing of multiple creative hats, the challenges of overcoming budget limitations, and the joys of working with other female creatives. So kia ora koutou, welcome to this investigative journalism session. Uh, my name is Alex Casey and I am a journalist from the spin-off. I feel like I'm invading uh, this event a little bit no. from, <laughs> from outside the industry. Um, but I'm here today to interrogate Kid Sister, the who, the why, the what, the when, most importantly, the how. I have been told from an inside source that this uh, the series costs an unsexy amount of money. We have established that earlier. <laughs> so I'm keen to know how you managed to pull it off. So join with me today is Simone Nathan, the writer, star, EP, you know, uh, woman of the moment, <laughs> <laughs> and A.D. Walker, the director. So join me in welcoming them. <laughs> Great to have you guys here. Oh, stoked to be here. This Thank rock. you. Yeah, and thanks, Alex, for doing this. We appreciate it. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. <laughs> so I suppose to begin, Kid Sister is a series that's been gestating for quite a while, Simone. Do you want to take us back to the moment of conception? I, I see what you're doing here with all the sort of birth references yeah. and puns, because it's a show about pregnancy, among <laughs> other things. Spoiler. Spoiler. Oh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah um, sure. I, I think... Okay, I've been having, like, huge memory problems since COVID. I literally don't remember a single moment of my life. So this is, like, really hard. I'm like, okay. I, I think um, I was living in New York at the time. It was around 2016 when I wrote this, and it was, like, Thanksgiving time. Everybody goes away during Thanksgiving to see their families. And I'd gone to so many, and you always feel like this real, like, invader during family time. And I finally was like... I hate this, like, these people eat sweet potato with marshmallow. I can't be dealing with this. That's, like, one of their traditional foods. And I was like, I'm just going to stay home this year and chill out with my cat. And suddenly I realized that I had, you know, three or four days to myself, and I was like, I should write something. And it was at a moment in my career when I had graduated my um, postgrad degree in the States, and I was working teaching creative writing to kids. I was trying to break into the industry still. And um, I'd written all these American samples. I'd been trying to, you know, write something that would sell overseas. And I thought that that was what people wanted. Um, and I think they just didn't totally ring true. It wasn't quite hitting. Um, and I thought, all right, time to write something real and something about me. And um, I still said it in the States because I wasn't quite willing to go there. But I wrote a Jewish half-hour family comedy, a, a pilot, that's pretty similar, I would say, to what ended up being the episode one of Kid Sister. Wow. Then um, I came home when I won the green card lottery and I met with Harriet Crampton from Greenstone. She read the sample and was like, well, why would you not just set this in New Zealand? Like, it's, it's almost you, but it's not quite you. Just take it that one extra step, come on. And I was like, okay, and I did. And she was like, okay, that's better. Now let's apply it for funding. And that was it. We just <clears throat> developed it into some pitch docs um, and added 80 to the mix. Um, and that was that was it. We And we got rejected. We got rejected, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, well, that's over. And they were like, no, we just try again. I was like, oh, okay. And then um, we applied again and then we got it. Right. Yeah. So how many years was this, like, in the making? I mean, I guess since 2016. I mean, that's one of the main things I'm learning is how long things take. And that's why, you know, if you write something that you really don't care about but you just want to sell it, it's kind of nightmarish because you then end up working on it for six years. Mm. And then by the time it sells, you're like, I hate this thing. <laughs> um, so it's kind of important to have something that you can continue to care about for a decade or more. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so when at what point did you come on, AD? Before the first rejection? Yeah, yeah. So you're, you're entrenched. So Harriet called me and said, you have to direct this thing. It's this amazing young talent. Read the script. And then literally, I said, it's really great. She said, okay, sign this contract. Oh. You have to direct it. <laughs> no, she said... She goes, I can pay you this much, sign now. And I was like, okay. No, but it wasn't like that because I really loved it. So I read it and I was like, this is cool. I was a bit like, oh, okay. And then I read it and I was like, this is amazing. And I think that was 2019. Does that sound right? Mm, yeah. It was ages ago. Yeah. And then we got together with Emily at that point with story producing yeah. and did a bit of a story table. Mm -hmm. Then you went off and wrote more. And then we were just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. It's totally going to get funded. And when we got rejected, <laughs> we were both like, oh. <laughs> Like really gutted, yeah. even though this is the nature of the world. Mm. And then, yeah, and then and then went in again, and then yeah, and then got it. But yeah, so 2019 maybe. I remember when we met yeah. at some cafe. We we had never met in real life, and you'd already been we'd zoomed for we'd about zoomed. a year. And yeah. I walked into the cafe, and I didn't know AD, so I didn't know really like who to look for properly yet. And you had seated yourself in a corner facing the wall, and I was like. <laughs> This person's a psychopath. I was like, what? what's wrong with you? I just like go around to everyone being like, are you my friend? Anyway. And I was on the phone. Like, I was on the phone for another 10 minutes. Yeah. Because, being like, no, because it was something about like something really, like a plumbing thing, guys. It was something like really urgent. I wasn't being a total asshole. It's a power move. But we had to be on Zoom for a year, eh? Like Zoom talks and oh my God, that's so crazy. Yeah. So you had one episode written at that point. Yes. And then you started working on the whole thing. Well, I think we, um, Emily and I worked together to write, I think, about three episodes so that by the time the show was greenlit, um, we could kind of just dive in a little bit more and get it produced more quickly. Mm. So we had three that we were pretty happy with and then we had to write the other two after we got the go-ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Why the five episode? Oh, my gosh. Curveful question, curveful question. I don't know. Money? Funding. It's the amount of money. <laughs> because you've got to work out, like, how well you've only got this time to shoot it. And, and I mean, I think we all talked about a sixth, but it was, I was just like, no, you've only got, at the time you need 15 days to shoot the whole thing. Yeah. Wow. And they're 22-minute episodes, but you don't shoot 22 minutes. You shoot, like, Mm. It actually yeah. works also because we talk about this a lot, like the structure of season one is sort of filmic. And so in a way, when you look at that running time, it ends up being about the length of a film. And so you can, a lot of people, it's like the greatest compliment that I can receive. People will say like, I just sat down and watched it all in one go because it's about, you know, the length of like a, a bladder. Mm. Um, so you can kind of just like binge it. And yeah, that rule, that's like the best thing ever to hear. And I yeah. think we did even consider like, what if we were to cut it as a film after and then mm. try and take it to festivals and stuff, but so far we haven't done that. Yeah, yeah, because Rurangi did that, and I was just like obsessed with that so idea, smart. but there was no money. To yeah, yeah. <clears throat> still time. Yeah, does anyone in this room have any money? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask about obviously striving for cultural authenticity, very important with a show like this mm. about the Jewish community and only one Jewish creative on the show. Mm. How did you kind of work to make sure that was authentic throughout? I guess <laughs> I'm like 80. <laughs> the first thing is that you build it into the script. So it's really like most of the groundwork is done there. You decide, you know, we said we sort of wanted to structure each episode around maybe like a festival or some kind of Jewish practice that hasn't really been depicted on screen that much. And then um, we had Tamar Munch. Put your hands up, Tamar, yeah, yeah. She uh, is our cultural liaison as well as the head of publicity. So um, that took a lot of the pressure and the like labor out of my hands because once the show was written and funded and you know, that teams were going around finding shooting locations. We really wanted to shoot at the Auckland Hebrew Congregation. That was, like, so important to me, especially because it's beautiful and we're not going to be there much longer at that site. The, the Jewish community is, is moving. And so I really wanted to, you know, capture that place on screen while we could. But it's really, it's really hard because then suddenly you're at the whim of this community and you're saying please, can we shoot here? And they get to decide, well, do we like it? And can we read drafts? And can we look at what you're saying about us before we let you? And we're like, no, <laughs> we don't want you to see what's in here. But we did share it with them and they were surprisingly really like positive and supportive. And that's all thanks to, I think, Tamara and Emily's work, going and meeting with them and um, talking through the show and our vision for it and what we were trying to say through it. So 
I don't know if that's so much about cultural authenticity, but I think it adds another layer of it that it takes place in these real places. And it was helpful for me as a performer as well, because I knew that I was in the actual locations where I went to primary school and I went to synagogue and continued to, you know, spend a lot of time there and at the deli. And so it was, that was really cool. I think, um, yeah, we, we were looking for locations last, you know, that second lockdown, the August one. So everything got shifted and I had a job on Mystic, but that got moved. So suddenly I had some time. And so Emily and I started looking for the house because you know how the house is quite everything in that show. We started looking really early. And so we're trying to do lots of location stuff quite early, but the synagogue and using the Auckland Hebrew congregation was completely only locked off like, I don't even want to say a week before we shot because that sounds insane, but I think it might be accurate. So we're, I'm kind of going, Emily, 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 we got the, <laughs> we're shooting in the, da, 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 da. she's like, we just have to be patient, we're just waiting. And they did, Tamara and Emily just did so much mm. mahi, mm. really respectful mahi. And it just sounds really similar to working with Iwi. You just can't go in there. It's just not, <laughs> it's not about you at the end of the day. Like, even though we, I was like, have we got a backup? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> but they did a lot of work and were really strategic and shared the things that were important to share, the scenes that were like, with the rabbi or, you know, and made sure we weren't, um, and actually to, to Steve Barr's credit as well, the TVNZ, right earlier we flagged, you know, let's make sure that the rabbi, I mean, even though the character, the rabbi played by Ari Boyland, has everyone seen Kid Sister, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, even though he's a very really funny character and he's, you know, he's layered and he's not, you know, none of the characters are very earnest. Um, we still made sure that they were across all that. And there was a lot of, I just didn't have time for any of that. So I'd constantly see Tamar and Emily sitting down. <laughs> like constantly we're going on reckeys and they're just having heaps and heaps of meetings and doing all that groundwork mm. and really took the time and had the patience um, and respect. And I think that's why we, we got it. And I think that the end result of that was everyone felt really included in the show and yeah thankfully liked the show <laughs> from the Jewish community. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The response has been really positive from the from the JCOM. And also um I think there was a another element where like the the team was really interested in in asking me questions and I really had an approach that was like please don't feel awkward about asking the wrong thing or pronouncing things wrong or, or not getting it right the first try. I was like, it's so chill. You're not expected to be on top of this stuff. So there are no dumb questions. So people would come to me and say, you know, is this the right shovel for this scene? Or are these the right rocks? And, you know, the heads of departments, I, I was like, please, please come to me and ask. And if I don't know, I'll direct you to Tamar or somebody in the community. There was one time where, what's Shane? He's like our head of... Production um, designer. Production designer. Yeah. Um, imagine not knowing that, but it's like, I really don't. Um, <laughs> he did this amazing job building the sukkah that I think we have a clip to play from. Uh, it's like that hut that collapses and he worked like over his summer to build this kind of prop that could collapse and then be rebuilt and collapse and be rebuilt. But at one point somebody came to me and they were like, and just checking like, does this look legit? And everything about it was absolutely perfect. Like he used the right wood, he used the right topping, but there was like a huge star of David on the wall of the sukkah. And I was like, yes, no. I was like, not that. I was like, just so you know, like, when you are Jewish, you don't have to really remind yourself that you're Jewish and have like the symbols on the wall. I was like, I think that would be, it's sort of different to Christianity where there's like big crosses everywhere to be you like. You pointed to me forget. for Christianity. <laughs> Super weird. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, oh, no. <laughs> no, she's Buddhist, but um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and yeah. I was like, no, not not that, but everything else, yeah, that nailed it. So and actually, with Shane Radford, so Shane Radford, guys, if you don't know, is um, he just did Fina. I just saw mm. Fina. So he did Fina, and he's you know, he's like. He was our oldest member of our crew um, and he was really great because we had a lot of wonderful, majority female and every HOD was pretty much female um, except for Shane. Um, But it was really great having Shane because he built the graveyard. You know, you saw the cemetery. He built that cemetery because we weren't shooting in a cemetery. So we found a plot that was, you know, we went around that, oh my God, can you remember that day we went to that cemetery? We just looked at everything. We looked at the actual Jewish cemetery and we were just like, we can't shoot here. This just feels so weird. Yeah. So we found an area that didn't have any um, when buried 
Um, and then weirdly had the Jewish cemetery right next door. So it actually plays in the background, but then he built that. And so having that, um, exp- like I didn't even think about a cemetery to be honest. I was like, oh, this is sweet. We'll just find some cool houses. We'll just shoot in the locations. It's gonna be so cheap. <laughs> yeah, so Shane was great, but also just because of his years of experience and works on heaps of Māori projects, yeah. he does the research. He did the mahi. He and goes thank- in. Honestly, thank God, his wife and himself, they learned to make latkes, challah, the, the authenticity that went into those details. And then like the um, costume they, department learned to make like kipot, the little Jewish hats. And amazing. it was just, yeah, it was fantastic. Anyway, that's our answer. There were some challenges because you had to shoot at night. Quite a lot, I understand. Do you want to yeah. talk us through some of that? I don't really know what to say except that I <laughs> haven't really, you know, this is my first project that's been produced that was written solely by me. And uh, I didn't know that you're not supposed to write too many scenes that take place in cars and at night. And I got so much pushback and I was like, guys, stop. Like, you're killing my vision. And then we got there on the day and I was like, fuck. I was like, I really, really hate that I wrote this many night scenes because now we're up till 4 a.m. every night for a week or two. <laughs> and it's my fault. And um, you really learn that you have to, when you act in your own project, you really have to sleep in the bed that you made. So... Uh, yeah, if we get another season, I will not be writing any scenes at night. <laughs> um, I'm opposite. I love shooting at night because it looks cool and I don't really care how hard it is to shoot. So I'm, I was pissed off every time we lost a night scene. But production don't like night scenes yeah. because mm. it's, it's just hard for everybody. I mean, I care for the crew, guys. I love the crew. But I just care about at the end of the day, there was like a, you know, we had to rejig the, um, we had to make it a lunch. Shabbos lunch and not a Shabbos dinner. It's not really complicated. And, yeah. But I love shooting at night and I love shooting in cars. But when you have a budget of under a million dollars for a five times 22 minute show, you can't shoot nah. cars. So, um, and I hate it when you see a car pull in, you see a car pull out. Even actually a car pulling in and a car pulling out is quite time consuming. Mm. But I hate it if everyone's just sitting in cars. So we tried to, had to be really creative about that and go, well, how can we make the car stuff interesting and feel realistic? And mm. cool. Yeah. Should we play a clip? Let's yeah. play a clip. Which one should we play? Yeah, so if one is kind of like one. a vibe and a tone of the show, so we, and then we can talk about it after. Cool. Oh. <laughs> Aww. Incredible. Thank you for normalising UTIs. I really appreciate that. That was a, that was a huge guiding star for us. Yeah. yeah. But it is a myth, of course, cranberry juice, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. As later mentioned in the show. Yeah. Someone, I remember someone posting on, on some social media platform saying, this isn't just a Jewish show. This is about, this is representing people with UTIs. Like, <laughs> we're out there. It's my platform. Yeah, that's my platform. <laughs> so this is probably a good time to talk about the casting of the show. Um, sure. Eagle-eyed viewers will notice Simone is the lead and the writer. <laughs> um, but also your real-life partner, Paul Williams, plays Ollie. Yeah. And your real-life brother plays your brother. Yeah. How did that happen? Well... He is my little brother, but was playing my big brother. So that was a really interesting dynamic. I mean, it would be like a scene where he was schooling me and then the scene would end and I'd be like, you messed that up. And, you know, like go straight back into that dynamic of the older sister. So I feel like that would have been a lot for you, for you to have to handle those real life dynamics going on but behind the scenes. But in terms of how it happened, I mean... I don't know, I I didn't really intend to play the role when I wrote it, but I knew it was a possibility as we were approaching production. I grew up doing theatre and after-school drama and plays at uni and stuff like that, but I'm not at all a serious actor. I've been very driven on the path to writing. Like, I always knew that was what I wanted to do. So this was an exception for me where I felt like, you know, for the sake of the authenticity of casting and that it would give my brother a chance to have a role as well. You know, you're always trying to make sure your family's employed. (laughs) Um, My cousins ended up playing my cousins. My dad plays my uncle. You know, a lot of people from the community were in there. That guy, Mikey Gold, who was in that clip, he's just like a dude I grew up with and went to summer camp with. Um, (laughs) He's not an actor either. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you can probably speak better to that casting process than I can. Yeah. We made someone audition like three times. Um, it was pretty full on because I think up until then, Simone and I probably talked every day and then suddenly there was like radio silence because mm. we were like casting her. Mm. And so it was a bit tricky. So we wanted to cast Jewish, obviously. Um, didn't actually know how many Jewish actress, actors were in New Zealand and even talked about like getting someone from overseas at a certain point. Yeah. Eh? 
But then we were like, we don't have the money to do that. Like, that's insane. <laughs> and then every time someone would send me her favourite, like, Jewish, like, a movie, like Shiva Baby, if you guys have seen that, if you mm. haven't, go and watch it. That girl's not Jewish. And you keep sending me this stuff. And I'm like, but we can't cast non-Jewish, but all that, you know. And then we were reading, uh, there was all these articles sent between us, like, is it okay to cast non-Jewish? And then every article was sort of like both sides of it, kind of like, well, no. But we, um, Harriet, EP, Emily Anderton, our producer, and I, behind your back, were like, no, we have to cast as many Jewish roles as we can <laughs> because... And we couldn't cast everyone Jewish. We couldn't cast mm. um, Kieran Jewish. I don't think there was even one Jewish option. No, there was. Oh, there's but one. We, we felt that Amanda was the best for the role. We yeah. loved her audition. And, yeah. I mean, other than casting myself and I think Paul and Joe, I was across the casting and mm. I was, it was a really fun process and... Amanda had the best tape and so did Peter as Hershey. Yeah, um, yeah. They just knocked it out of the park and it's just really important to have, like, experienced actors in the mix because myself and Paul are, like, relatively new to the screen uh, and suddenly, like, I'm supposed to be carrying the show and I'm in almost every scene. If I didn't have people around that I could learn from as I was going, I mean, it was it was like a master's immersion program in acting for me, where it went from, like, nothing to, you know, my whole life for, like, two or three weeks. Yeah. And I guess that was part of the process of, like, one was, do you actually want to play yourself with your boyfriend playing yourself? Because mm -hmm. we, you know, we just have no idea what, and, you know, we want to make this for many seasons to come, and we're like, this is your life. So we had those very, had to have those very serious talks with both Simone and Paul separately, and Paul's just like, yeah, I think it'll be cool. You know, yeah. it was just like, and we're like, but are you sure? <laughs> and then, of course, we did the, these auditions where they had to audition against actors, and so that was really interesting too because the dynamic between Simone and an actor and Paul and an actor was very different yeah. to the acting with your partner that you talk to every day. Mm. So it was a bit of a process, actually, like, even just audition technique. Like, the first one was like, I can't see you. Like, you guys were facing each other. And I was like, can you, you've got to, I can't see you, you know? That's then the amazing. second one, and each time we're like, okay, no, this is cool. And But one of the auditions was like two and a half hours or something, yeah, I think, was, the first one. it was terrible. But I mean, um, it was important because afterwards, when I got the call from you guys being like, you're playing yourself, congrats. I did actually genuinely feel as though I needed that uh, vote of confidence from the team and that I had kind of earned that, role and that it wasn't a given because that meant that when I did have to take on this huge mantle of this job, I was like, well, at least it's not just me who thinks I can do it. Yeah. And as you said, yeah, Paul's approach, um, and this is really what I love about him, is that he's so incredibly chill that he's just like, yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that'll be good. I could probably do that. And I think, and behind the scenes, he was saying to me, Oh, you can definitely do it. It's not that hard. He was like, you just get up there and act. And it's basically <laughs> you, so you, like, you don't have to do all the soul-searching that an actor does. And um, I'm incredibly tightly wound, and I'm a huge, you know, I'm a highlighter girl, and I'm really, like, one of those people who has to be on top of every email and every, you know, rewrite, and um, he's the opposite, and I find that balance really comfortting. Yeah. He's definitely the opposite. Yep. <laughs> But Paul became one of my most serious actors, actually. Like, he'd be prepping. <laughs> like, where's Paul? And he's literally just standing by, and he's, keep, he's found a quiet place on set, and he's very quiet, and he's waiting. Ada, you know that was because he was learning the line. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, he had not looked at it, and then was like, oh, yeah, what is it? Okay, cool, yeah, let's go. <laughs> I actually thought it was because was, we were up in the apartment, and it was just so hectic, and there was no room, and he was literally just like, I need to get some space. Probably that, too. <laughs> yeah. But and yeah, you ended up in a situation where you were at home with yourself, Paul, the actor oh. who plays Bex, and your brother after you had shot and you were just oh basically God. recreating the show, Well, right? there, was, there was a day where yeah. we sh had to shut down for COVID because some, one of our crew, like, accidentally brought it in. And so halfway through the day, we all had to go home. And the actress who plays Beck, Kira, she uh, didn't want to go back to her uh, friend's place that she was staying because one of them was immunocompromised and she didn't want to expose them if we were sick. So she ended up coming back to our family home and staying the night at us in my like parents' room. My parents were away. And it was just bizarre, like all four of the kind of leads of the show just staying in the same house and <laughs> not knowing when we'd be able to come back. And I, we, we thought she might be there for 10 days. And then the next day, the law changed around shutting down for COVID. Mm. And then we just 
came straight back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was kind of like a crisis-averted moment. I think we only had to shut down for maybe three days. Mm-hmm. Shut down for five days. Five days? Five days. <laughs> Four days. Four days plus a Sunday, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a lot of blurred lines, obviously. How was it going from being a writer to an actor? Did you have to, like, be taking off different hats all the time? Were you kicking yourself for something you wrote, you know, <laughs> two years ago that was really hard to deliver? How yeah. did that work? Well, so many crying scenes, and I really regretted <laughs> that, but actually... I mean, yeah, that's a hectic process, learning to cry in front of other people. I mean, I cry every day as a person, so I really just had to make sure that that time, like, coincided with the shoot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, like, we tried the tear stick and the blowing of that, but in the end, like, going method was the best way, so I sort of had to, like, psych myself up and then hold it and then let it all go and then it was too much and, and then <laughs> we had to bring it down and try again. And so that was a really huge learning curve for me but I kind of loved it because it makes you feel very powerful when you Mm. do it well and you feel like you nailed it. But I don't know, what else? I was just thinking of the crying scene in the toilet in Ep5, every female crew was crying. Like, it was hilarious. Someone would come off and we're all like, ah! <laughs> the scene with them in the mirror. But um, no, the crying's funny because I keep trying to say, I was like, some of my friends just can't cry. They're the best actors, don't worry. But you're like, no, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to fucking do it. So um, It was exhausting. Yeah, it was just, I mean, look, it's a lead role. Um, she's in every scene. Uh, if you've never done that, I just keep talking about, yeah, stamina. It's like, it's not going to be necessarily that fun sometimes. Mm. And um, we just talked a lot about that. And we had um, Ella as an acting coach mm-hmm. we brought on, which is pretty unusual for a $850,000 production. Yeah. But um, it was really good because it was just sort of like, I had so much else to think about and, you know, yeah, and we had a very tight schedule. Like, I mean, one day I think we turned up and it's, I mean, a lot of you may have worked on fast stuff, but... Like, I think there was just 11 scenes. And you think, oh, that's great. They're just all in one room. But we're also trying to do some interesting shots, you know. It's, mm. um, I've definitely done 14-minute day on Brokenwood Mysteries, but that would be in the police station. And it's one lighting stage, mm. and you just go for it. So, um, and I mean, yeah. I, like, I've got to gas Eddie up on this one. Like, really, yes, I had an acting coach, and that was really, really helpful in the rehearsals. But as a director, um, I felt, like, so comforted and seen, like, by her and the fact that, I knew your acting background um, and that you had been across the whole process. It was like there wasn't any awkwardness for me or power struggle when we were on set. Like I completely surrendered to the fact that I was an actor. It was your vision now and I was there to execute it. And yet still when there were moments when I was looking like, ooh, that's not how I imagined it, you were so open to being like, well, let's just talk through that. I mean, like, how do you see it? And when we'd work it out together and, like, kind of reimagine it and take that time that is, like, really valuable time from the day for you to ask me what I saw and even just, like, unprompted check with me stuff about are you happy with how this looks and what did you mean with this line? And I think there is something hopefully helpful about having the writer right there on set all the time because if anybody wanted to change a line, they'd just be like, can I say it like this? And I'd be like, yep, is that cool? And you'd be like, yep. And then that was it. That's all you needed to yeah. get that approved. So it's efficient. It's, it's efficient, efficient, if nothing efficient. else. <laughs> Do we have a crying scene <clears throat> on file? I don't know if we ended no. up doing that. But what, what do we have next? We've got the suka, or we've got the um, end of it four. Let's play the, should we play the suka? Because we talked yeah. about that a bit already. Yeah, neat. Right. I, I had two, two other thoughts I wanted to add while I was watching that. One is like a more like serious thing, which is that I think one of the, I guess, harder parts of being the writer and the actor in this particular circumstance, and I think this is something that I really play down in interviews, is like how autobiographical this show is. Like I'm always like, no, but I, then I'm secretly like, Yes, a lot of these conversations happened. A lot of this is true. And then, you know, we obviously take fictional and dramatic versions of that and then added a pregnancy on top of that. Some of, like, the harder moments of your of my life with uh, my family and with Paul, like, I, then you end up reenacting them. And I think that's a really horrific thing to have to do. And it's like... That's something that you'd be like, okay, I kind of don't want to relive my breakup that I had with somebody in front of a camera crew. Like, that is truly bizarre and unhealthy. (laughs) But at the same time, I was like, that's good TV. And also, um, (laughs) just got to get through it. And then you watch it and you're kind of like, oh. And then it's worth it because the other scenes are so special to have. And it's 
kind of weird to think that like if Paul and I have kids, then our kid will be able to watch the show. That's a really mm. weird thought. I was like, that's going to be out there forever. And those are the things that you have to kind of consider as you approach this. Do I want that? On the other hand, there are some really, yeah, really positive and hilarious moments. And I mean, I remember one bizarre moment on set. My mum came along to watch one day of the shoot. It was the day where... Uh, she came to record the yeah, flute. Yeah, to record the flute, that's right. <clears throat> and Karen was doing the blessing on Lulu where they're standing outside and she does the Shabbat, like Friday night blessing on your child. Afterwards, I said to my mum, you know, how was it? What did you think of everything you saw? And she was like, I was just really jealous seeing somebody else do the blessing on you. <laughs> she was like super threatened and jealous of like the bond with me and Amanda. I was like, it's acting, girl. But she didn't like it, yeah. <laughs> but, and it was also cool because I think um, there is so much, you know, often like family and work separation and sometimes like bringing my dad in um, and bringing my brother in, it was like bring your family to work day every day. Mm -hmm. And it's good for your family to see how hard the hours are and how and what goes into a process like this. They were incredibly supportive the whole way through the writing process and they read the scripts and approved them. That was like really important to me. And um and us. And mm. you Simone, have you shown your parents the script? <laughs> Simone, have you shown your parents? I'm yeah. like, it's not yeah. ready. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah, but they, they were just so cool about it. They were like, it's really funny. We laughed our asses off. They're, they're very able to laugh at themselves. And they said they cried when they read it as well. And I was like, that's good. Cry. Yeah. Tears. Yeah. Um, should we talk about post-production? Because mm. I know that you ended up doing 80-hour weeks or something close to it, um, and you were only supposed we to do two days a week or something. We had pretty big um, weeks. Yeah, it's really <laughs> fast. So um, basically, you finish a shoot, and you always think, oh, great, the edit. I don't know if you guys heard that talk yesterday with Peter Jackson's editor, and it was just like, yeah, it's so true. Like, I just love lying on a couch. Like, I literally get into an edit suite and just lie down. And um, the editor just thinks it. And then the editor never looks at you. The whole edit, they're just editing and you're just talking. But anyway, you think it's so relaxing, but it was the most insane because two things. So Emily Anderton came on as our producer. Harriet was going to produce. And then Harriet's obviously made Greenstone so successful with lots of projects for her, she couldn't do it. Um, so Emily and I worked together on Mystic. Um, she wasn't the producer, but she was my producer in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, she was very supportive to me. And I was like, she can do this. So Emily came on. So Emily comes from a film background and she basically was like, well, this is, you're the director. You should have a say over the show, which is not a normal um, structure for TV. If you guys don't know, you do a director's cut, you hand it in and you oh. say, Sayonara. So this is very different because obviously it's much lower paid than a normal gig as well. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. quite, quite a lot. Um, and so it was a passion project. I did it because the scripts were so good and because of the team. And then, um, so anyway, and Harriet was obviously supportive of this as well. So basically I got to do um, everything. So I got to do the grade and the, the sound mix and everything, you know. So that meant that, you know, there wasn't money for that. And there actually is never money for that, even in a proper proper budgeted show. But obviously, Emily and I were just like, doesn't matter, we're going to see this through. So there was many hours put in. Mm. Um, but basically, you only get three days. Was it three days an episode? Roughly, more or less. So um, you kind of get three days an episode. So you think, oh, God, this is so cool. Shoot's over. Ah, but it's crazy. It's like you just edit until you have to go. And I had a really great editor who does Wellington Paranormal and came up from Wellington and did the hours with me. Like there yeah. was not any issues in us leaving at midnight or whatever or coming in on a Sunday, you know. Yeah. So um, basically, yeah, post-production was pretty crazy. Um, and then, of course, also with all the compromises you make, you're sometimes stitching things together and trying to make it work. So yeah, it was a it was a cool it was it's cool now looking back on it and thinking about that time. Mm -hmm. But um I guess the thing would, to be talk about would be um episode 1s are always really tricky. Mm. And most people watching them don't realise how hard episode ones are. And it was really cool getting a couple of directors call me and go, hey, episode one was really strong. And actually it was like crawling on the floor trying to get it into the shape it was in. And then it got progressively a little bit easier as we went along, I think. Mm. Yeah, once you felt, because it's a new show too. Like, yeah. what's the show? And tonally, like Simone's first scene is so... I mean, I, so that's kind of why I did it. it, was literally that first scene. It's so funny to me and so kind of 
dark and creepy and <laughs> and horny and and um, naughty and all those yeah. things. But that was a hard motherfucking scene to cut. Yeah, like yeah. we made it. I made it like a film. It was so lengthy <laughs> and did a little uh, drone. You did vos for me. I put vos down. We're like, oh, what's the vo? And yeah. I guess we spent a day in ADR trying to get episode one. Trying to work it out. Like, yeah. what is it, you know? So. Yeah. Actually, yeah, speaking of ADR and voiceover and stuff, one thing that I think I know you're going to ask about this anyway, VO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, no, I'm just doing it. <laughs> um, nothing on this. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I'm really glad that we didn't go with the voiceover option from Fleabag, which I think mm. it's like a really appealing option because it's so personal where they just turn straight to camera. But um, I think it would have been a nightmare because it was really great that we could actually reapproach the VO after the show was edited and cut together and say, how does this actually work best? And I think if we had shot it direct to cam, we couldn't have changed all of that as easily because you're locked with the image. Mm. So it was helpful that we could completely reassess it, even in the room when we were doing it. This doesn't actually sound right coming out of my mouth. Let's change it. One really good example of that is in episode four. Mm. We In the scene where... Ollie finally finds out that Lulu has been hiding this huge secret of this pregnancy from him and he comes back to the Emmanuel home with Siggy and Leo. We had this big VO section where Lulu is watching him react and waiting to hear what he has to say and she's got this huge inner monologue about Ollie and the way he processes information. In the end, we went with a different option um, (laughs) that I had to be talked into a little bit and then when I let that die and saw how it was cut, I was really, really blown away by it. And I I think we have a clip if we want to watch. episode four? Yeah. Episode four. Well, apparently they're both dead in a ditch because nobody is answering their bloody phones. (laughs) (laughs) And that was... That's a car scene at night. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> so, yeah, we fought our battles. We're like, that yeah. one has to exist. Don't lose that one. Yeah. So what's interesting there is the restraint, right? There's no VO. Yeah. There's so much silence. And that was quite a journey to get that final cut. Yeah, because, I mean, she's a character who makes questionable decisions, and so you really rely on that VO in some ways to align the audience with what she's doing and why. Mm. But at the same time, I don't know. We we presented options. So basically there was a bit of debate with editor, two producers, um, and basically we showed different options. So we showed it with VO, then you wrote a new VO. Mm -hmm. Um, But And the the other issue with taking it out was that in EP5, the VO gives up on her, so we didn't want to lose that. So it's really, it gets complicated because you've got to go, hang on, how does that affect going forward? But actually it was just stronger and Mm. I think um, weirdly just worked, Mm. you know? Because even I'm, I'm always a bit reluctant. I think it's always Harriet and Emily that suggest something. I take a day to process. <laughs> it's huge. And I think, did I even message you and go, just don't respond to notes straight away? You're going to like, <laughs> this is a really good rule, guys. So don't respond straight away. Because sometimes I write a response and it's like, I can't fucking believe you fucking suggest that. Motherfuckers, this is fucking fuck, fuck. <laughs> And then I'll go, delete, delete, delete. That worked. Or, or delete, delete, delete. Yes, but... Yeah, it always makes it better. I mean, and even if it means that you... The notes mean that you reapproach it in a new way. That's yes. not the way that was suggested. It's like, you just take a second to be really angry. And then you're like, okay, wait. They care about this show and that's why they're suggesting this. And I right. think that's what I love about our producerial team is that tr- they take the show so seriously, as I've said before, as if it's like Game of Thrones or something. <laughs> and they approach it like it is like this really big budget show. So you know that any note that you're getting is because they want to elevate it and use these very sparse resources that we have to make like a world-class mm. show that mm. hopefully we can sell overseas. So and also you and I like are that. attached in a different way. So Simone, you're attached as an actor knowing what you did on the day. Yeah. Then the writer's always attached, you know, to the script. Like yes. that's just overall, they're like, but that's not what I wrote. And then I'm attached to going, that took us five hours to shoot that shot, you know, or I fought for that shot. And then a producer comes in and is like, get rid of that, it doesn't work. So that's the different, I think that, and I've really learned over the years to let go of that and go cut, 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 cut. But I think it is really good sometimes for us to process it. And sometimes we fought back, like often we wouldn't agree or I'd agree, you know, it was a Mm. mix. So, Mm. but I think in the end, you know, it, we just, it's good to get everyone's blessing on big changes like that. Yeah, mm. and so. honestly, like, yeah, you, it's just a process of learning to let go because, I yeah. mean, even, like, with my episode of um, Our Flag Means Death, truly, 
when I watched it, I had no idea what to expect. And I didn't recognize almost like a single word of that script. That it was like it had my name on it. And I was like, who wrote this? <laughs> and the thing is that, that that's it. That's how it works. It gets rewritten and rewritten. And then you're lucky that you still get your name on it. Mm. And then I watch other episodes of the show and I'm like, oh, yes, I wrote that whole sequence. And yet I remember I pitched that joke and that dialogue. And so you take the wins where you can get them. Yeah. I think this is an unusual thing because I had full writing control over it and they remained very loyal to the scripts and that was something that meant so much is like really I think it changed very like minimally uh, the dialogue mm. and I felt probably more cuts and if you don't yeah. notice a cut like these cuts but I'm always like watching Simone oh yeah when they showed me in the edit and I just completely had no idea that something was missing it's but if like, you did notice you'd bring it up and yeah. it's like so if you notice but often if no one noticed massive cuts I'm like it's working because they're not remembering that line 100 you know? yeah <laughs> but I do watch like this I'm like watching everyone's faces <laughs> nope that past that, pa- that continuity era passed <laughs> so, have we seen any today no there is a really bad one that I will never talk about, but um, <laughs> it's Alex and I had a little pat, and my editor, we're like, we will never talk about this ever again. <laughs> it's hiding in plain yeah, sight. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to know what that was either. <laughs> I wanted to ask about the kind of production team, and it was a very woman-led show, and it deals with a lot of, obviously, you know, themes affecting women. Mm. How did it compare to other productions you've worked on having all kind of key roles filled by women? I mean, okay, I can answer first. Uh, in my previous experience in the States, uh, in the writers' rooms that I worked in prior to Our Flag Means Death, it was an almost exclusively white male over 50 or 60 room. Um, there are exceptions, and I learned a lot from those men. They're, they're amazing, uh, like playwrights and novelists on Bloodline who really have a completely uh, different approach to writing than a you know ragtag group of young kids like on Our Flag Means Death, but I was getting coffees for people for years and doing juice runs and listening with my ear to the door on different shows, trying to understand what was going on in there. And I don't find it that different. It's just mm. nice to be among people who look like you and have the same sensibilities as you. But um, I've learned a lot from all my experiences. Yeah, mm. um, I don't know. I think the writing world can be different because there are lots of female writers and there's also lots of female producers. So those are the two areas where we don't lack. But um, yeah, I mean, it's completely different. So I went from our kid's sister shoot to one of us is lying. I had an acting role on. And I've been doing this for 20 years, acting. And I walked onto set and I swear to God, it felt like 56 foot two men in black hoodies walked in. And I'm used to it, right? Like I'm not, I mean, I, mean, I, I can direct a set, but I was like, holy fucking shit. Mm. This is crazy. <laughs> Imagine being a new actor you would be absolutely daunted because then you're just blocking the scene. And also, I just want to say, you get no direction often in, in lots of shows. The director said one thing to me, he walked past, he said, 10% less drunk and walked off. <laughs> and so my, my son was getting a lot of direction, but I wasn't getting a lot, um, which is fine. I mean, that obviously means you're not totally shit, but it's still just like, give me something. I don't know what I'm doing. But I guess I just remember the energy. And it's not bad. I know half these guys. These guys are awesome. But I was like, holy cow. Compared to our set, we had two camera assisting Tammy as men. We had a grip called 80. You guys, do you know 80? <laughs> it's like Fight Club. We don't both exist at the same time. And then we had a couple <laughs> of... Fight Club. We had a couple of... Um, <laughs> Other guys, but it was just like, honestly, like the most gorgeous, 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 gorgeous set of, um, of men and women. And, predom- you know, with a female DOP, I feel like that really sets a different, yeah. different vibe. We have a five foot five female DOP on set, you know, mm. with a gentle manner when we're running out of time. Okay, this is what we're going to do, mm. you know? So um, <laughs> it, it's, it, it's completely different. And I think it's, it's, it's changing. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's changing. Yeah, yeah I would say... It, it was very comforting in my first acting role to know that there was a fellow woman behind mm. the camera mm. um, who, so when I would look into the eye of the camera, I felt like I was looking straight at Tammy <laughs> and not at um, a faceless, scary sea of audiences that I don't know. I just thought about Tammy and performing for her and performing for you and for Emily and Harriet to watch in the rushes. And <laughs> that was all I really thought about. Just yeah. keep it really insular and don't think about all those larger mm. um, viewers. Yeah, Particularly when you're sort of peeing. 
Yeah, on the so many peeing so scenes. So much peeing in this. Yeah, scene. that's yeah. probably another thing I'll move away from <laughs> slowly over time. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we've got just ten minutes left, so I think we can do some audience questions. Oh yeah, cool. Can we just talk about the peeing. She did a great peeing position. I was so proud of you. <laughs> this one. Yeah, it was excellent. Yeah, there's a, there's so much peeing in there. It's, it's, I was doing doing a lot. Do we want to? Take, do we have questions? Ooh, okay. Oh, this is how it works. This is exciting. Okay. I'm scared. Are these a non? Okay, question for 80. Given the chance and maybe budget, would you bring another director in for following seasons? Oh. <laughs> or does five eps feel like the right amount for one director? 522s is good, I reckon, for a director. Um, it'd be very hard to split it up because you'd end up working like a half day. It wouldn't work. You have to do it in blocks. But if we did like eight eps, you could break it into two fours. So it becomes a math equation. But I think, um, yeah, I think if you're getting into one hour episodes, I think blocks are good. And I think some directors love to come in and direct a whole season, but I think it's not good for the crew. And I think... Um, it's good to rotate, and I, I know there's so many, but guys, I'm just not a producer, and I really don't ever want to be a producer, which is a really good thing for everybody. <laughs> yeah. um, but I just think, um, you know, we have to make, they make decisions because of budget. Every decision is made because of budget. But also, <laughs> I just think... <laughs> don't stress. I'm stressed out about it, because I think, you know, there was a, um, there was a show made here, it was eight one-hour episodes, and this guy came over from Canada and wanted to direct the whole thing, and it just made it hard for everybody else, you know? Like... The script supervisor had to prep eight one-hour episodes. I mean, how insane is that? So that no one had enough prep. You, you don't have any time to do your recce's and prep for the next team. And I think rotating teams is great. Mm. But in this case, uh, 522s is, is like a movie, you know, so it just needs one director. All right. Back in the bad old days when you got that rejection for pre-production, <laughs> did, you, did you take notes and make changes to your first episode or did you just resubmit the same work and hope that the new, for new eyes on it the next time Steve, around? Steve, Steve, did you submit this question? <laughs> like weirdly He's like, did you change it? <laughs> um, I don't know. Wait, so the question is, did you... Oh, yeah, no, did that's you resubmit a good question. the same work and yeah. hope for new eyes on it? No, that's a really good question. Pax's show got the funding, right? So we didn't take it personally. We were like, oh, that's great. Pax no, and I ended up working on the show. You know? um, I actually, <laughs> I think um, we did. And one of the things that we did was we reapproached our pitch document and we reformatted it because it was, it was cute, but it was like maybe a little, uh, uh, it was a bit tacky. It was like we needed to hire somebody to like reformat the images, go back to the drawing board and start thinking about your, your beautiful colour palette that you built into the show because that was kind of at that point starting to become a thing that we were looking at. Neon pinks and baby pinks and yellows and salmon. greens dark and salmon. salmon. And um, that, that, you know, Spongebob, you, you know, I used to work at Nickelodeon, Spongebob was um, sold on the background images. The show, they didn't have a story, they didn't even have a sponge. It was those images of those kind of Hawaiian backgrounds. Oh, wow. That's what they brought in and they were like, Whoa. we love this. And I think they had some of the music, that weird music. It's like you start to show that you can see the show and then they can see that with you. And mm -hmm. I think it makes a really big difference to have a lovely looking pitch doc and a really nice treatment that says, we really believe that this show is already happening, you know? I don't know what else changed. Maybe we had more polished episodes, but it really didn't change that much. I don't think much. it was a lot. It, no, it yeah. was really just about the fact that it was the right time for the show. It was a new funding round and something had shifted in the landscape where they were like, now we're ready for the show. I think TV and Z were always behind it. There was no issue there. Oh, so no. I think it was just the timing. Yeah. yeah. Which other Jewish shows influenced your writing? I would say um, I grew up loving The Nanny, and I think um, that's a really humorous portrayal of a Jewish woman. Um, I also think sometimes it influences you in the way where you say, this is not what I want to do. And I think there are some stereotypes that are built into portrayals of Jewish women on, in, the, in our media that I would say, okay, maybe I don't want it to be um, a shrill, I'm Jewish woman, but at the same time, then I ended up actually writing a mum that's quite shrill because, <laughs> because at the end of the day, like, you can try and move away from stereotypes, but you also have to draw on your reality, and the reality is my, my mum screams a lot. <laughs> like, the main sound I remember growing up with is hearing my mum go, Simon! 
up the <laughs> stairs. And so, I mean, you know, it, it kind of is what it is in that sense. But um, I really love the show Transparent. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's just a really interesting portrayal of a Jewish family. And it also tackles the complexity around, like, different people's levels of practice. And it captures the fact that there can be female rabbis and that they have lives of their own. And so, yeah, that was a huge influence on me. Also, this isn't a Jewish show, but it has religion built into it. Season two of Fleabag is really inspirational mm. to me and the way that they... Hot priest. Yeah, and just mm. like a really brave and bold and fearless um, approach to religion, which I think is a really scary thing. I mean, for me, I think uh, the stakes were really high for me in portraying a Jewish family and the Jewish religion because... I'm so close with my community and I am, you know, in real life much more religious than Lulu and much more involved in my community. And so my fear was that these were the stakes. If people don't like the show and the community and there's a uh, consensus that this was a bad portrayal of Judaism, I wouldn't be able to continue going to synagogue and feeling comfortable and my family's um, mana in the community would also be destroyed. And I'm like, okay, that's chill. Like, that's really cool. And the first time that I went to Shul since the show came out and there was positive reactions and people being really excited about it and getting those messages, it was like, I don't care what anybody else thinks about the show, to be honest. That's really, like, when I, I thought that's a success for me. Sounds like the scariest reviewer ever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Could be one for 80. You did so much with so little, including a lot of location shoots, which, as mentioned, really did add a lot to the show. Must have been tricky. What was the location budget? This is one for Emily. Guys, directors don't know anything. It's like, <laughs> Emily, 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 Emily. Um, <laughs> we didn't have much, but I also know we got that house because we looked a lot, guys. We looked at so many houses mm -hmm. and we got a heartbroken many times. Like we were looking the year before. But actually, um, and we went through three different location scouts too because, hey, right? Mm. And then this one came up and it didn't even look the best in the photos. And it was like, so I'm very, very collaboratively um, and with our DOP, you know, if she doesn't like anything, I'm not going to use it ever. And production designer as well because the production designer has a, has a budget. So if we get to a place that's great structurally, but he has to bring everything in, there's no budget for that. So you, he can bring in a bits of art. That house, the owners were just... Obviously wealthy, because the house is like, I look, you can look it up, what it would cost to buy. But they obviously didn't need money. Mm, and it was like a cool thing true. of like, they wanted to be involved yeah. in the arts. And um, love them. Super, super awesome, dope woman. Like just always in sports shorts and a t-shirt. Super nice. And so basically super cool. And we're like, can we do this? We covered that bench. We um, moved everything around. We got um, the, it's the first visit, Shane, the production designer, looks around and basically rang, found out who did the art and got um, permission to use bits of art that were already there. Oh. So having that experience is really good with Shane um, and then Tammy, it's all about white walls. Mm. No, white walls. And so because it had lots of wood, um, yeah, and I just think, you know, yeah, so basically we just tried to be very smart about it all. Yeah. And our worst choice was Paul's flat because yeah. it was very hard to shoot it. It was so tight. But it was cheap. If I learned anything, it was never let someone film in your house. I was like, after seeing what happens to your house, I was like, if somebody asks you, do not do it. They just move everything in Don't your say lights. That. Don't say that. <laughs> let us film that. We're super respectful. We, we were. We were. <laughs> and then we called in some favors as well, like the clay center. My aunt Auntie, runs yeah. that, and so she just let us film those those clay scenes. They're just. Yeah, because, you know. And those, that clay center, Morgana O'Reilly in that clay room. Brilliant, right? Oh, Just a genius. What a scene. Yeah. Um, ooh, we've probably got time for one more question. What's next for Kid Sister? Oh, yeah, we, I can answer this in 20 seconds. We're, we're basically <laughs> um, working on applying it for funding for season two. So I've written a episode one and a series outline with the help of all of our co-collaborators. And... Um, We've just worked as hard as we can to get it as polished as possible. I read it last night, but oh. I was slightly drunk. Okay, well, we need, to talk, we need to talk about it. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. That's um, what we're working on. Hope we get another season. That would be the best thing ever. Steve Bar, Steve Bar, Steve Bar. He's in the room. <laughs> All right, yeah. well, thank you so much for your time. We've got the overtime, so we better wrap up. Thank yeah, you, Thanks for coming. Thank, thank you, everybody. The Big Screen Symposium 2022 is brought to you by Script to Screen. We are grateful to our event partners, the New Zealand Film Commission, New Zealand On Air, AUT, Images and Sound, and Te Mangai Paho. Voiceover is by me, Anna Corbett, and music by Poddington Bear.